And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you for worship. Great worship this morning. Uh, my name is Andy, one of the pastors here at New City, and uh, it's just always a joy for me to have the opportunity to open Scripture with you and to uh, read Scripture and proclaim God's Word. And so, uh, again, what a, uh, what a great privilege it is for me. I like to just open with a word of prayer uh, before we read. Dear Lord, once again, we come before you this morning, and um, Father, thank you for worship. Thank you, Father, for the blessings you give us. Um, we're able to count our blessings and name them one by one. Uh, we, we are grateful for your word. We thank you, Father, that, that uh, your word is alive and living. We pray, Father, that as we hear your word, read it, hear it, that your spirit will truly lead and guide. Father, uh, we, we pray that we'll have ears to hear what you would want to say to us here this morning. Amen. I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to um, uh, Zephaniah uh, chapter 2. And uh, Zephaniah, uh, like Ryan said last week, I'm sure that you read that this morning and you know exactly where that is in your Bibles. It's an Old Testament prophet, and it's uh, tucked in the back of the, the Old Testament, page 789 uh, in the Bible that I have here in front of me and the Bibles that you have there under your chairs. We started this uh, series of messages yes, yesterday, last week, Sunday, um, in chapter 1. And I'm, this morning we're looking at, I'm looking at chapter 2 with you. And uh, as, as I uh, open God's Word and begin the message, you, you'll hear the theme, and you'll hear where we're going and where we came from and where we're going. And so I'd like just to encourage you to uh, look at chapter 2. I'm only going to be reading uh, verses 1, 2, and 3 this morning. Chapter 2, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, with 3 being our main text this morning. And there we read, Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like shaft, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. And now our text, our text, verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. God's reading for us here this morning. When, uh, when I was a child growing up, I remember playing the game hide and seek. Uh, one, of us, one of us would close our eyes and we would count up to 20 elephants while the rest of the gang would, uh, would run away and hide. And then when the person counting was finished counting, they would go and seek out, they would look for the people who were hiding. And the very first person found would be the counter, would be the seeker the next time around. It was a, it was a fun game. When we, when we hear that word seek, right away we understand that it implies intentionality. It implies, it implies diligence. It implies effort. Now, three times in our text this morning, three times, again in the Old Testament, when, when God wanted to emphasize something that would be repeated, three times he says to the people of God, seek me, seek righteousness, 
seek humility. It's remarkable. In this letter, where there's a lot of gloom and doom and judgment, in the middle of this letter of judgment, there is this word of grace and of hope. Amazing grace. God is offering grace. But let me, let me back up for a moment uh, the context here. Um, where, where does the prophet Zephaniah, where does this prophet fit in in the Old Testament narrative? What is his background? What's the background here? And so I, I want to give a very short timeline, and I know it's, it's dangerous when you do history here a little bit, but please stay with me. It's going to be cliff notes. It's going to be very quick, a timeline of Old Testament history. If we have a very good novel and we hear that's, that someone gives us a very good novel, a mystery novel, we don't begin to read in verse or page 100. <laughs> it's good to know the context. It's good to know where to start. And so I think it's very important we do that here too. A quick timeline. 2000 B.C., Abraham, Father Abraham, 2000 B.C., Moses, 1400 B.C. After Moses, Joshua, the judges, Samuel. During the time of Samuel, the people of Israel wanted a king. And so at that time, at that time we have a united kingdom. King Saul, King David, King Solomon. A united kingdom, the 12 tribes. David is 100,000 years. Oh, 100,000. <laughs> a thousand years. A thousand years before Christ. Sorry about that. Get excited. <laughs> a thousand years before Christ. At 930, after Solomon, the kingdom, the 12 kingdom tribes split. Split. Disunity. The, the 10 northern tribes are called Israel. The two southern tribes are called Judah. In 722, we move along here, in 722, the Assyrians defeated uh, the Israelites, and they were taken off into captivity. In Judah, Judah was defeated in 586. They were defeated by the Babylonians. Zephaniah, between these two events, Israel is taken off into captivity. Judah is still hanging on. In between those times, that, that particular time period, we find this prophet. We find this prophet. And, and so, um, um, I lost my place. And so, uh, interesting enough, not, not all is doom here. There is hope. If we look in chapter 1, verse 1, Josiah, Josiah was a good king. He wanted reform and reformation. His grandfather was Manasseh. His father was Ammon. And they were notoriously evil. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But not Josiah. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And this young man, this young king wanted to do what was right. Again, he wanted reform and reformation. And Zephaniah is at this time period, the beginning of Josiah's reign, around 620, 640 uh, B.C. So there's hope. However, and this is, a, this is a real big however. However, because of Manasseh and Ammon, because of other evil kings, sin was truly entrenched and deep-rooted in the land. And the spiritual darkness here was pervasive. 
And so that we need to remember. And last week, uh, chapter one, um, um, Ryan touched on that as well. And so um, now just a word about the theme, the theme. And one word, it's judgment. God will judge his people in all the nations of the world because of their sinfulness and brokenness. I'd like to encourage you, if your Bibles are open, you'll notice the headings here uh, throughout the, the, this chapter, three, three chapters. You'll, you'll notice uh, in, in uh, number uh, two, chapter one, verse two, I'm getting tongue-tied this morning, uh, you'll see the, the words, the coming judgment on Judah, on, on verse 7, the day of the Lord, that little phrase, the day of the Lord, in the Old Testament, the prophets, that was a sign of the coming judgment that was to come here in this context. Chapter 2, verse 1, you have their judgment on Judah's enemies. We do have our verse tucked in there. There's a word of hope. But if verses 4 and following, the nations are being judged. Chapter 3, judgment on Jerusalem and the nations. And so judgment is near and eminent. And what is really interesting, though, is what is tucked away in between these three chapters is this one verse, a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of hope. God says to his people through this prophet, seek me. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. There's hope. Now, hope and joy is found in the end of chapter 3. Ryan will touch on that next week. But that hope and that restoration and that joy is in the future, far, far removed. Here in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3, it's in the here and now. (laughs) There, There is hope. And there is grace in the here and now for the people that Stephaniah is talking to. And so we find in the middle of all this gloom and doom and judgment, a word of grace. And that's, and that's my sermon title for this morning, uh, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And we, um, we see here the theme. My theme this morning is in spite, in spite of our uh, sinfulness and total rebellion, we have a God who still seeks out, still is the God that seeks and gives grace, forgiveness, and hope. And that's not a message just for Zephaniah, 640 B.C. It's a message for us today, too. The Word of God. God is a God who still offers grace, forgiveness and hope. Let's spend a little time now on verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. And again, just wonderful words. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. It says there, seek, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Now, not all the residents, first thought here, not all the residents here in this time in, in, in Judah, were unfaithful. We notice this in the verse. All of you humble of the land 
who do his just commands. There were a number of people who were faithful. You do have Josiah. You do have this prophet Zephaniah. There were others others who remained faithful to the Lord. And we find that in the Old Testament, there's a remnant that's always faithful. Very important for us to always hold on to that. Number two, the word seek. As I mentioned earlier, seek is a very interesting word. Intentionality implies that. Diligence, effort. It's something that we need to do. God is asking us to seek him. It's an active verb. My goodness, if we, if we misplace our cell phone and lose our phone, oh my, there's an all-out search for that phone. If, if your dog sneaks out the front door and runs down the street, oh mercy me, I know some of you, there's an all-out search for that, for that dog. If you lost your wallet or you misplaced a $100 bill in your car, I mean, again, I know some of you, you'll rip it apart to find that $100 bill. That's the idea behind this word. Seek the Lord. Be diligent. That's what the prophet is saying to the people of God. Be intentional about it. Seek him. Now, thirdly, the little phrase, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord together implies piety, devotion, faithfulness. I, 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 we, we just love Psalm 27, verse 8. You have said, seek my face. Psalmist is in worship. And he's, he's speaking here to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, you have said, seek my face. And now he says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Th- those words imply a relationship between the worshiper and the Lord. And the worshiper wants to do all he can, she can, to be in communion with God. Seek the Lord. That, that little phrase, that little phrase just conveys a beautiful relationship between worshiper and the Lord. And, it's, it's, and they want to, he wants to, she wants to stay in union with, with her God. Devotion, fondness. Seek his presence, seek his life. Fourthly, seek righteousness. That word righteousness, very interesting word in the Old Testament. It's not, it's not just personal righteousness, not just a right relationship with God, a right posture with the Lord. That's very important. But this word also has a social dimension. It's about your behavior and your actions toward your fellow man. And, and so that's what we have here as well. Uh, a, a number of years ago, New City Church, we, we did a book study on Generous Justice by Timothy Keller. And uh, there in that book, he dissects this the, and breaks down this word righteousness for us. And, um, and here's, here's what he says, this, this word, about this word. This means that biblical righteousness is inevitably social because it is about relationships. When most people see the word righteousness in the Bible, they tend to think of it in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer and Bible study. But in the Bible, righteousness, Zadok here, refers to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in the family 
and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. A righteous person has a right relationship with God, but also he has a right relationship with those around him. A right relationship vertically, but also horizontally. And so biblical justice and righteousness, it's very important for us always to remember that. Biblical justice and righteousness always has a social dimension. Love God and love love one another. Now this social dimension, is kind of interesting too, is one of... Judah's and Israel's greatest sins. It's the problem. If you're reading through the Old Testament prophets, they continually jump on this theme. It's like the key of the piano. They hit this key all the time. The social dimension. The people of God, unrighteous before God, but also unrighteous to each other. Now the classic, the classic Bible verse on this is Amos 2. You might want to just remember that. Amos 2, verse 6 and 7. And, um, and this is what Amos says. For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And here it goes. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And then he goes on to say, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. God calls them out because of their injustice to brothers and sisters within the community, covenant community, people around them. And he calls them out on that. Now, now there were other sins too, of course. There was idolatry and apostasy. There was immorality. There was apathy. There was corruption. Yes, that's all there too in the prophets. But it is interesting to note how often the Old Testament prophets hit this key, this social dimension. They had forgotten to be righteous this way to their fellow man. Now it's interesting, what does God seek in his people? Again, Amos chapter 5, he's really good in this. Amos 5 verse 24, again a classic verse in the Old Testament. What does God after? Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness, the same word here in Zephaniah, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It's wonderful. That's what God is looking for us as his people. We continue in 2 verse 3. Seek humility. Seek humility. Now, when we see this word, we know that the opposite of humility is pride and, and arrogance. And, um, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but this is what, this is what the prophet is saying to, 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 to God's people. Will you stop thinking so much of yourself? Will you abandon your, your smugness and your conceit? <laughs> That's what he's saying to them. Will, will, will you get down on your knees and bow before your maker and your redeemer? Will you know your place? Will you acknowledge him and will you submit to his way and plans for your life? He is gracious and kind. He's been so benevolent to you. Think of your past. He redeemed you out of Egypt. He he made you into a great nation. He's given you health and gifts and land. Get down on your knees and beg for forgiveness. He's been so kind to you. That's what the prophets 
are saying to God's people. Now it's interesting that that in 2 verse 3, the word repentance is not there. But that's the thought behind this, this verse. It's a call to repentance. Again, check your ego, he's saying to the people of God. Come clean, repent, confess, fall on your knees, <laughs> humble yourselves. And this God, this God, he, he will lift you up. He is able, he's still able to lift you up. Now notice the last sentence here, phrase in this verse. Perhaps, interesting word, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Perhaps. Interesting enough. God is forgiving. God does forgive. It's his character, his character. When we think of God's attributes, when we think of his the essence of who he is, one of his characteristics is that he is a forgiving God, that he is gracious. And interesting enough, when people do repent, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, if they truly seek him and repent, he will forgive. He will have mercy on them. Think of the story of Jonah. What an interesting prophet. Jonah, we know the story. It took him a little while to do his task. He went the wrong way first. He came back and he preached against Nineveh. And what happened? Nineveh actually repented. And what does it say in chapter 3? God relented, relented to the calamity that he was going to bestow upon Nineveh. See, God cannot go against his own nature, his characteristics, his character. And so when he sees people who repent and believe, he forgives, he restores. And we see this due, due to King Josiah's righteousness, due to kings before him that were righteous. God's judgment to Judah was delayed because God saw their faithfulness and he responded. So what do we have here? What do we have here so far? Well, in this verse, interesting enough, we see God's offer of grace and hope to his people, amazing grace. The Bible is remarkable. Old Testament, New Testament, not just the New Testament, but all of Scripture, we see the grace of God. Grace is everywhere in the Scriptures, everywhere. God wants all people to come to saving knowledge of himself. That's his desire. Zephaniah 2, verse 3, is our story, too. Tucked way back there in the Old Testament in this prophet, 2, verse 3, is our story, too. Romans 3, we read, None, none is righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Wages. The word there means what we earned, what we brought upon ourselves. We're guilty. Just as Israel and Judah were guilty before the Lord, we're guilty. And we're full. We have been. We were. We are. We're, we're full of unrighteousness. The very, the, the very same sins. There, there's, there's idolatry and immorality. There's There's apostasy, there's apathy, there's corruption. Yet, and this is key, yet God says to us, even here this morning, 
nevertheless, seek me. No matter what your past, no matter who you are, seek me, seek righteousness, seek humility. There's still time. There's still time. I'm a God that extends grace. I want to forgive. I want to bestow kindness upon you. I want to restore you into a relationship with myself. Seek me. There's still time. There's still time. And how does God forgive? Well, he does that through Jesus. We, many of us know that story. It's a beautiful story. Through Jesus, Romans 5 verse 8. But God showed us love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, very, very guilty, very, very unlovable. Just, just think for a moment, someone that you might know who's rather unlovable, who's not very kind, not a very nice person at all. And yet, out of grace, you just bestow kindness to them nevertheless. That's exactly what this verse means. That, that, that we were still sinners, Christ came to us. Christ took upon himself our sin. He became sin who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then in his one complete perfect sacrifice for sin on the cross, he bore God's wrath against sin. Our men's study on, on Wednesday morning, we're looking through 1 John. And in 1 John, an interesting word that John uses to un- help us understand atonement. What does it mean, Christ's death on the cross? What happened? He uses a very big word, propitiation. It took me 40 years to say that word right. And I think I still say it wrong sometimes. It's a big word. Theologically, the, ES, um, the ESV study Bible says, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. Mercy. First John 4.10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. <laughs> Amazing love, how can it be that? You, my God, would die for me. That you would take my sin upon yourself, Lord. That you would experience the wrath of God for my sin. That's what propitiation means. That's what Christ did for us. Now, God's wrath and judgment are real. Ryan spent a lot of time on that last week. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is my Father's world. He is sovereign. He is the creator. And he is, he is blessed. If you look through history, he is, he is blessed. Um, peoples throughout history, he is blessed, graciously blessed. He's lavished us with kindness and goodness. And we're accountable. That's the key. He is the creator. We're the creation. We live life in that relationship. And so we're accountable. And again, his, his judgments aren't, his judgments aren't um, arbitrary, random, fickle, not at all. We're responsible for our actions. And he holds us accountable. He is just a just God. He is true to his character. So who will pay the debt? Well, Jesus paid the debt. Jesus paid the debt, set me free. 
Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to his grace, once again, grace. What's so amazing about God's grace, the Old Testament, New Testament? What's so amazing about God's grace? Is that guilty ones, guilty ones like you and me, who seek him and confess their sins are forgiven. Yeah, we could say amen to that. Hey, last week when uh, Brother, um, Brother Lear, Gaylord, yes, sorry, knew that. When he was here, there was amens all over. But, uh, but thank you. But yes, the, the, the message of the Bible, the good news of the Bible, it's the good news. The guilty ones who sincerely seek him, again, no matter your past, what you've done, if they truly confess, there's forgiveness. It's, again, why the Bible's called the good news, the good news of the gospel. Jesus forgives. I'd like to conclude here with one last verse. Luke 19, verse 10. Luke 19, 10. And there we have the words of Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a beautiful verse. Many people say that that's the key verse for the whole Gospel of Luke. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that remarkable? And here we have the gospel. Jesus came and is seeking the lost. People who are hiding in their sin, hide and seek. People who are hiding. But Jesus wants to find you, them. Jesus wants to restore them. Jesus wants to give them life. Jesus said his mission, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And there's still time. There's still time. That's the message that we have as a church. It's a message today. It's a message that we have to church planters. It's a message that you have for your family members, your co-workers. It's the message today, 2018. There's still time. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. That's his heart. It's his heart. He wants to restore people to himself. And there's still time. So come and seek him. Come and seek him. And this is an odd thing to say, but let him find you. (laughs) Let him find you. Let him find you. And and so all those who are weary and heavy laden, so you will find rest. You will find hope. You will find eternal life, a new hope, a new life, a new reason for living. That's the gospel message. Zephaniah 2, verse 3. Seek him. And live, there's still time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you, uh, you are good. You are so good. Father, um, we really marvel. I know I marvel. We, we marvel at what you did for us. How sideways we were and are and were in our sin, our sinfulness, And yet you came to us to give us life. And in Christ, we're forgiven. In Christ, 
we have new life. We're a new creation. You adopt us into your family. And we live. You give us your spirit. And the Christian life is not just something we live in eternity to come, but it starts right now. We can live now for you and in you. Oh, Lord, you give us so much. Father, we pray that we will truly be diligent in our seeking after you. You desire a relationship with us. You, you desire us to come to you, to seek your face, because you're good. Your life. Oh, Father, help us each and every day to truly seek you, to seek your face continually. Thank you, Father, for this message. And we pray, Lord, that as a church, may we always remember that there's still time. You have not returned. You have, you have not called us home yet. There's still time to proclaim this beautiful message and um, encourage people to seek you, to find you. In your name we pray. Amen.